You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Dr. Shelton Jordan, who is the Clinical Associate Professor of Neurology at UCLA. He is the chief investigator and author for numerous institutional studies evaluating and treating neurological diseases and other age-related illnesses. We will be talking about the anti-aging of the brain and new regenerative approaches today. Thank you for joining me today on Spark, Dr. Jordan. Can you talk about the aging process of the brain? What to expect? You had mentioned before the show that the people that people's brains start to age in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right? So we're going through different changes throughout these decades. That's right. Um, people start to age probably um, beyond age 20 or 30 even. Um, we can s- start to see changes. In fact, if everyone can think about um, their, their growing up and um, getting into middle age, you already are able to detect things um, that are changing. For example, it's more difficulty that you're having more difficulty in learning new dance steps or new uh, skills. Um, It's sometimes more difficult to memorize uh, material. Um, Sometimes you need to be reminded about uh, recent events. So in terms of um, memory function and new skill acquisition, um, those are things that already uh, start to um, change when you're in your 20s or 30s. And, and think of um, high-level athletes um, playing in professional sports, basketball or football. Very few of them are able to continue playing into their 30s or 40s because um, the ability to recover from the uh, stresses of um, playing at a high level um, become limited. So uh, muscle, tendons, joints, um, also begin to age, and um, the, the initial appearance is that of difficulty in repairing and regenerating um, uh, after being challenged. When do we need to start thinking about, I guess, the restorative process or how we need to change or maybe prove how we're taking care of ourselves then? Well, I think the sooner that people get into uh, good habits, um, uh, the better, um, because um, the aging process, um, think of it as a cumulative uh, injury over the course of a lifetime. So if we can do things to minimize uh, those exposures over the course of time, we're going to do better. So when it comes to um, optimizing sleep, and continuing to exercise and choosing a good diet, um, avoiding uh, certain toxic effects uh, such as uh, smoke and um, uh, various industrial uh, toxins, uh, alcohol, and so on. Um, The sooner that we can get into a good series of of habits when it comes to all these things, the better off we're going to be. You mean wine doesn't actually keep you young after all? Well, 
Wine, wine, wine is an interesting phenomenon, and um, I like a good wine uh, as well as anybody. Uh, the the studies that have been done over the years suggest that um, one glass of wine may possibly be healthier than none at all. However, when you when you get beyond one glass and you get to two or three uh, glasses of wine a day, and, and and to that extent other alcoholic beverages as well, uh, you start to run into trouble with um, hypertension, weight gain, and a variety of things that um, become counterproductive. Some of the health benefits of um, of alcohol uh, may relate to uh, some of the compounds that are found on grape skins. Um, there's a compound compound called resveratrol, um, which uh, does seem to confer some uh, anti-aging benefit. Um, but um, studies have also been done uh, uh, with other kinds of alcohol beverages uh, that don't uh, you know, necessarily have that compound. And it seems that, um, again, the one, uh, one glass a day equivalent of that, uh, other, other alcohol beverages um, may also confer some health benefit. That's really good to know. So it sounds like, though, the, the acceleration starts in the 50s, would you say? Well, I think um, a, a lot of the problems that I was alluding to earlier become um, much more apparent when you get into the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, so by the 50s, people already notice that um, memory impairment is, uh, is, is often more uh, apparent. Uh, they may need to keep notes uh, more carefully. Uh, they need reminders, uh, more difficulty in picking up new skills. Um, and then, you know, strength and endurance and ability to recover um, from uh, an exercise uh, becomes uh, more limited. We know that some of these degenerative diseases occur um, 10 years or longer before they're clinically diagnosable. Um, this is particularly true of things like Parkinson's disease, where we know uh, the early changes actually occur in the gut. Um, uh, 10 years or so before uh, an, actual, an actual diagnosis of Parkinson's is made. What about the role of nutrition? D- does certain foods matter more than other foods in terms of keeping us um, healthy and fighting off the aging process? Um, uh, absolutely. There, there are a lot of things that um, are probably important with regards to diet. Let's, let's talk about some of them. Um, first of all, um, one uniformly agreed upon phenomenon about diet is that relative caloric restriction uh, appears to be one of the most robust ways of uh, slowing down the aging process. So uh, caloric restriction uh, probably um, means, among other things, um, intermittent, intermittent fasting, um, reduction of uh, purified carbohydrate intake, um, those probably are, are very important things uh, to keep in mind. But also, um, we know that the makeup of the microbiome, so the bacteria that live in your gut, um, the makeup of that biome appears to be very important um, in maintaining health. And, and what you eat actually changes 
the kinds of bacteria that will grow in the gut. Um, so uh, the idea is that um, a diet that will supply fiber um, allows the uh, so-called good bacteria uh, to eat. Uh, you want to, want to feed them in such a way that they uh, proliferate and uh, keep out the bad bacteria from taking over. But when we, when we go to diets that um, are high in carbohydrates, um, when we've been exposed to antibiotics for various frivolous reasons over the years, um, we also can kill off the good bacteria. Uh, in fact, even taking antacids allows us to consume um, bad bacteria just through the oral route. So uh, normally the stomach acid um, will uh, kill off some of the bad bacteria from getting into your gut. But if we're using antacids uh, repeatedly, we're allowing the entry of some of these more toxic uh, species from getting in. And when you get the wrong mix of bacteria, uh, your body reacts to that. It, it produces an inflammatory reaction. And the inflammatory reaction kind of wears down um, the body in such a way that it accelerates the aging process. How interesting. So it, so what you eat does affect the gut. Then that's what leads to Parkinson's then? Yeah, so we, we have a, we're, we're um, soon after birth, um, our gut is colonized um, with uh, bacteria. And if, if you have a, uh, a natural uh, vaginal uh, birth, um, you, you actually are um, going to be colonized with bacteria that come from uh, your mother. And assuming your mother has a healthy mix of bacteria, then the baby is going to have a healthy mix uh, in their gut. And uh, we want to maintain that for the course of a, of a lifetime. Uh, interestingly, if you've had a, a cesarean section, uh, you get colonized with whatever's in the operating room. And uh, as, as you can imagine, uh, whatever bugs uh, are in a hospital aren't necessarily going to be very friendly bugs. And um, they, they can actually uh, change development uh, in ways that can be measured. Um, and what we want to do is really try to get that healthy biome that the rest of the healthy family members have. That's interesting. But how would you know, since there's so many children, including me, who were born out of C-section, whether we have the healthy bacteria or not? Well, there, there, there are many different ways that you can try to um, maintain a fairly healthy mix of bacteria. One is to to use um, um, certain uh, probiotic mixtures that uh, can be um, bought uh, in in a pharmacy, and um, uh, a lot of these probiotic uh, mixtures have um, what are thought to be relatively healthy bacterial species for your average individual, and uh, that can be consumed on a daily basis, um, and uh, that can try to um, make sure that you are going to be colonized with the right uh, right mixture. So even if you somehow start out uh, with the wrong mixture, or you've been exposed to antibiotics, or you've had some severe diarrheal, diarrheal illness where um, pathological bacteria take over, you can try to uh, recoup a normal mixture by taking probiotics. And then again, uh, getting back to the diet, 
once you have the right bacteria in there, you have to feed them. You have to keep them happy. So uh, that's where prebiotics come in. And prebiotics are basically um, different kinds of uh, fiber and um, other substances that the good bacteria will feed on. Uh, so you can do that as, as a matter of just having a diet that's um, rich in fiber and low in carbohydrates. Um, but you can also uh, buy uh, prebiotic uh, mixtures that um, will uh, will feed the good bacteria. Okay, so you do recommend those that are off of the shelf in the stores versus, like, let's say, um, the yogurt types that claims have these type of bacteria, or are there certain strands that are more important than others? Um, you, you can probably get some good bacteria just... Um, uh, when you consume uh, foods, um, but um, uh, if you have been on antacids or if you've been exposed to antibiotics or you've had a diarrhea illness, uh, the um, good bacteria may be um, uh, d- damaged in some way and you may be overtaken with colonies of pathological bacteria. Um, so you'd like to restore that uh, with a probiotic mixture that has some of the healthier bacteria. You know, there's also an, in- an interesting phenomenon um, that's been um, uh, considered in an experimental situation, um, doing uh, actual fecal transplants. So th- this is an interesting phenomenon where if someone has a, an illness, um, particularly an aging-related illness where there's an inflammatory component, uh, it is possible to get samples of um, the uh, gut bacteria from healthy family members, and that can be uh, transplanted into the unhealthy family member um, to restore a a normal mixture of uh, bacteria. So that's, that's an interesting experimental phenomenon that people are uh, doing uh, from time to time around the world. And it's easy to do or it's complicated? It's difficult to do and it's considered experimental, um, but uh, the idea is you take a healthy individual in your family, um, you can get a sample of uh, their bacterial mix, and that can be... um, that can be transplanted by doing a colonoscopy. That sample can be implanted into the unhealthy family member so that you can recolonize with the right mixture. You know, generally, healthy family members, interestingly, if when you, uh, when you look at their, the mixture of bacteria in their bowel movements, um, healthy people will have uh, very uh, similar mixtures of bacteria. The ones that have various kinds of inflammatory diseases um, will often have an abnormal uh, mixture. And interestingly, if you look at subjects with aging-related diseases, such as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and so on, uh, they have an abnormal uh, mixture of bacteria in their gut. The idea here is that there's an inflammatory component to these aging-related diseases um, that uh, will harken back to the um, microbiome in the gut, and so that if you try to restore that to a more normal uh, mixture, uh, these uh, individuals might do better. So this is an area of, of active research, and uh, it's a very interesting, and we'll see how far this can, can go. So it sounds like it starts from the gut, and you know, it's interesting in the sense that we have become a society of antibiotics, right? There's 
teenagers even consuming antibiotics for skin care. So it sounds like we have to focus on the gut first and reduce any type of inflammation that's coming from there? For sure. I mean, we know, getting back to the example of um, one aging-related disease, Parkinson's disease, we know that it starts in the gut because um, when individuals have had colonoscopy for just general health screening and little polyps are taken off, those polyps, you know, sit on the specimen shelf for many, many years. And then later on, years later, when people actually develop Parkinson's and you go back to this polyp that was taken out 10 years ago, you can find the abnormal protein deposits in the polyps from the gut of that individual 10 years before they knew they had Parkinson's disease. And then interestingly, for those individuals who have had a vagotomy for treating ulcer disease, so they actually cut the communication between the gut and the brain, the vagus nerve, when you cut that, the incidence of Parkinson's goes way down. So it appears that um, the, whatever the inflammatory process is in the gut, that gets transmitted through the vagus nerve up into the brain. And once these inflammatory factors get into the brain, they spread all over, causing the destructive process that we know as Parkinson's disease. But it seems like our inflammatory responses increase as we age. Is that accurate? Yes. And is it always from the gut, or is it, it could be a number of different... No. No, the gut, the gut is, is, is a, a very important one, but um, everywhere where the body interfaces with the environment, there is going to be a natural mixture of bacteria living there, a microbiome. So that includes the nose, the mouth, the skin, um, and the gut. So at each of these levels, there are healthy bacteria and uh, dangerous bacteria that can get intermixed. And your body recognizes the dangerous bacteria, tries to fight them off. And the process of trying to fight off the pathological species, there's an inflammatory reaction which actually re reverberates throughout the entire body. So the inflammation basically tears down your tissues and accelerates the aging process. And by the way, that brings us to, to the concept of what can you do Besides the diet and probiotics for your gut, you have to pay a lot of attention to um, oral hygiene. So um, going to the dentist and making sure that you don't have um, a chronic infection in the gums, that also turns out to be an important uh, thing. Um, avoiding uh, mouthwashes and, and other substances that kill off a normal bacteria and replace it with abnormal bacteria, that would be another thing to keep in mind. And then even for the nose, uh, what lives in the nose probably uh, plays an important role. We know, we know for, um, for certain that some of these aging-related diseases, such as Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, um, they lose uh, the sensitivity to smell um, at a very early stage, even before there's an apparent Parkinson's disease or dementia, um, there's a loss of sense of smell um, because the olfactory nerve, which is uh, living in the mucous membranes of the nose, gets exposed to an abnormal biome that uh, destroys the um, olfactory system at an early stage. And then when this inflammatory reaction spreads from the nose into the brain, that can be another 
uh, entree of this in- inflammatory process that causes these aging-related diseases. Interesting. What about vitamins? A lot of people are taking vitamins to, I guess, deflect the in- uh, af- inflammation responses that they're feeling in their body. Um, do you think it makes a difference? Uh, well, a um, number of um, nutritional supplements um, that have been shown in clinical research uh, to be helpful in, in various uh, circumstances. Um, in terms of a nutritional supplement that can minimize inflammation, um, it appears right now that one of the more popular ones uh, would be these uh, turmeric uh, extracts. So turmeric, which uh, of course is a main spice in curry, um, the the active agent there is uh, curcumin, and uh, there is there are extracts. Um, there are high quality extracts um, which uh, can be taken on a daily basis, and uh, that uh, can work as an anti-inflammatory reaction in the body as a whole, and also it, it does appear to get into the brain to minimize any inflammatory response that may be um, occurring in the brain as well. So um, these these turmeric uh, extracts or curcumin extracts um, can be found, and um, I would consider that to be um, one of the um, very important, highly recommended um, nutritional supplements that uh, should be taken on an everyday basis. There are a number of other uh, supplements that can be taken. Um, uh, some are um, probably superfluous, but um, there, there are some things where there is, um, I think, some good uh, clinical research supporting them. So, for example, the coenzyme uh, Q10 um, uh, vitamins, are, I think, are all um, something that should be considered. I, I consider them to be um, highly recommended. That supports the um, energy-producing components of the cell called the mitochondria, and I would, I would definitely recommend that. Um, there's a niacin um, supplement that's called nicotinamide riboside uh, that also supports uh, the mitochondria and probably directly uh, interacts with the biological clock to some extent. Uh, there is um, also um, uh, supplements that can be taken to speed up the disposal of these toxic proteins that accumulate over the course of aging and appear to be important in a variety of degenerative conditions. So, for example, in Alzheimer's disease, we think about amyloid and tau proteins. In Parkinson's disease, it's something called alpha-synuclein. These toxic proteins are actually accumulating in the brain. The brain can't dispose of them fast enough, but the disposal process can be optimized by taking uh, a variety of um, supplements that contain uh, a chemical called spermine and spermidine. And uh, there are a variety of these that are on the market. Um, Some of them are um, derivative of um, wheat germ extract. And uh, for those who have gluten sensitivity, you can get uh, wheat germ extracts that are gluten-free. So um, I, I would consider that to be another uh, important substance. And the last, the last vitamin uh, supplement that I would recommend would be something called PQQ. That's PQQ. So that, that directly stimulates the um, biogenesis of these energy 
producing components of the cell called the mitochondria. So that can also be uh, gotten as a supplement. There are a variety of other things that um, are um, potentially recommended. I, I think um, you know, it would probably take a few hours to go through all of them. <laughs> um, but I think, I think that if, if you just um, you know, thought about um, coenzyme Q10, PQQ, this what we term extract and thuracurmin, which is a curcumin extract. I think those those are all um, things that are considered to be highly recommended, um, along with the niacin um, uh, component called nicotinamide riboside. So you don't have to have twenty or thirty different things. I think you can narrow it down, make it uh, make it feasible, so you can do it on a regular basis. And you you consider that along with the kind of diet that we were talking about, low in carbohydrates, high in fiber, uh, you have a regular exercise program, um, continue to be mentally active, and make sure that you optimize sleep, which also turns out to be an important thing uh, to help in a healthy aging program. I think if you think about all those things, then you have a good program. So this is all just for the brain, but I would imagine that it's still going to improve your body as well. Of course. Yeah, I, w- I would say um, the the brain, um, in in some ways, um, reacts like the rest of the body. Um, the, the one thing that's um, a little different about the brain than the rest of the body is that not everything can easily get into the brain to do its work. So um, the supplements that I'm uh, discussing, we know, do get into the brain. Um, some other things don't get a brain very well, and so they're not going to be all that useful for maintaining uh, healthy aging of the brain per se. We're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters. Be back on anti-aging of the brain with Dr. Jordan. This portion of your program has been brought to you by generous help from The Barrel Room at 415 Sansom Street right here in San Francisco. You already know that The Barrel Room is a venue to get a finely crafted cocktail. Meanwhile, stay for dinner with an evolving menu that changes to feature a new wine region several times a year. You know they also have a fully stocked wine store that you can get a bottle to take home or get enough to fully stock your next event. What you may not know is they have a secret door that leads to a more than 100-year-old speakeasy, and inside you can have a meeting, a private gathering, just a drink, or even a quiet dinner in. To find out where that door is and what it leads to, you'll have to call the Barrel Room at 415-956-6900 or go to www.barrelroomsf.com. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. I was talking with Dr. Jordan before the break about nutrition and anti-aging of the brain, the relationship between the two. What about genetics? How does genetics play a role in the aging process? Genetics um, is a, um, a very important factor. And, um, you know, we, we used to think that um, uh, we're sort of born with what we have and um, we're, we're going to live out a fate that uh, is related to our 
DNA code. Um, I think to some extent that's um, that's still true, but um, now we're learning about genetic engineering that can actually uh, modify the expression of some of our genetic code. So um, a lot of what we're experiencing today is going to be very different over the next uh, small number of years. But generally speaking, if we look at a traditional uh, conceptualization of genetic factors in this field, um, we know that um, there are certain rare diseases, uh, one, one called progeria, where young children can age uh, over the course of just a few years and become uh, what appears to be an old person, uh, even though chronologically they're only a few years old. But then there are also uh, much more common examples of um, certain aging-related diseases that happen to occur fairly early. So in the 50s and 60s, you can start to see people who have dementia. You can see people that have Parkinson's disease uh, and other similar types of degenerative diseases that occur at a very early age. And uh, these individuals have inborn uh, problems with their um, metabolism, so they they can't um, dispose of some of these toxic proteins that we were talking about earlier. And so they accumulate toxins uh, which overwhelm their system and cause a very rapid uh, degeneration. Uh, now, most of the healthy aging, um, where it becomes disabling, you know, into the 70s and 80s or 90s, it's much harder to demonstrate um, a, a genetic component, but of course there still are going to be some genetic uh, components that just not going to be overwhelming, um, as you see in these people that have very early onsets of dementing uh, conditions. So talking about toxins, there's it's big right now with detox therapies. Do you actually think they work, and are there certain toxins that we should be more aware of, or you know try to flush out? So. There, there are several um, several approaches that would be considered uh, in uh, detox treatment. So, one very popular type of detox treatment is uh, something called glutathione. So, l- let's talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, and, and there's probably some utility to this. And by the way, uh, glutathione can also be taken as a uh, daily supplement, and um, I would put that in the category of probably recommended, but maybe not highly recommended. Let's talk about how that works. So we we were talking about the um, energy-producing components in the cells, the the mitochondria. So the mitochondria are absolutely critical for, for health. Uh, they produce all the energy that you need to um, build the tissues, to move, to, um, to exist as a living organism. Uh, energy is required to do all of that. So the mitochondria take the responsibility of producing energy, and they do it in a way that is not 100% efficient. In other words, in producing energy, there are some toxic byproducts that are inevitably produced. So if you can imagine an electrical generator that's producing energy, but it also produces sparks from time to time. And the sparks 
produce that ozone smell that you are all uh, familiar with when you're around, uh, you know, electrical uh, machinery. That um, that ozone smell in the air is produced by uh, the sparking uh, component uh, as the generator is working. Well, you have the um, the analogous situation in the mitochondria that as it's creating its energy, there are little sparks that are set off. Um, basically little excessive um, bits of, uh, of electrons that um, are uh, coming off of the system. And that produces some very toxic uh, chemicals that are destructive uh, to all the tissues. So um, this, is, this is a situation that we call, call oxidative stress. So these toxic um, chemical byproducts basically interact and, and tear apart all the tissues, not just the mitochondria, but just everything in the cell and produces a, a rapid aging process. So there's a natural um, detoxification process within the cell that uses a naturally occurring substance called glutathione. So glutathione is able to absorb some of these toxic substances and neutralize them. Unfortunately, as we get older, we don't uh, produce enough of this particular detoxifying agent, glutathione. So the glutathione can be taken as a nutritional supplement, but it can also be given intravenously. So this is a very popular detox um, form. Um, many, um, many doctors will uh, provide uh, intravenous uh, glutathione in their office. It, it probably um, has some benefit, but also um, a similar benefit might be conferred by uh, taking a glutathione uh, supplement. Um, the one thing about glutathione, it can't be uh, just swallowed like a pill. Um, it has to be absorbed uh, sublingual or intranasal because the stomach acids uh, also will neutralize the glutathione. Another um, type of detox that's very popular is using a, a, a niacin um, uh, chemical called NAD. And, um, and that's basically meant to recharge the mitochondria so that you can produce energy better. Um, so when you're feeling run down and you have a low energy level, the, um, this NAD can be given intravenously. But again, we talked about um, the nicotinamide riboside nutritional supplements, which I consider to be highly recommended. Um, that can be taken as a pill. So I don't know if you really need the, uh, the intravenous. Um, of course, people will also get vitamin therapy. Um, now, whether that are, really helps or not, because I think a lot of these vitamins um, can be taken orally, but if you have uh, problems with digestion or you, you have an emergency situation where um, you're not able to consume enough vitamins quickly enough, then getting that intravenously uh, probably uh, has some benefit. So... Um, but these are more sophisticated. I guess my summary statement. Uh, my summary statement would be some of these intravenous detox therapies probably play a role, but I think if someone actually has a a regular dietary intake of the correct nutritional supplements, it probably isn't necessary in many instances. Oh, those are pretty sophisticated. I was thinking more about people who are juicing, where you know, right now, like kale or celery, are is really big, and that's all people are drinking. Um, or they go on a juice diet for a few days, and then they're like gut-clearing um, therapies. Do you believe in any of those? 
I, I don't know if there's uh, any uh, value in that, um, particularly. Um, I think if you have a, um, a good diet that's uh, low in carb, carbohydrates and high in fiber, and you avoid antibiotics, and you have the proper mix of probiotics going in, um, I don't know if you need to go through these extreme diets. However, uh, um, there is something to be said for intermittent fasting. Um, and now, that's not really so much detox as it is the intermittent caloric restriction, uh, which, which probably does have some value in terms of uh, life extension. Um, so um, I, I don't know if that's specifically a detox component, um, but it is a caloric restriction that might be uh, something that, that is done from time to time. Okay, I want to quickly touch upon this before we talk about your newest regenerative research. Um, it's about the viruses that we could um, catch, like herpes, right? That goes straight into nervous system and brings on a brain infection that can be destructive. Can you talk about the various viruses that we may not be aware of and the damage that it does to the brain? Sure. Um, that's an important topic. <clears throat> and... Um, we should also talk about sleep before we go on and talk about the regenerative uh, um, processes as well. <clears throat> but um, when, it, when it comes to um, uh, some of these invasive um, viruses like herpes, so it turns out that virtually 100% of people over age 60 have been exposed to herpes simplex um, type 1, which is the kind that causes uh, fever blisters or cold sores. And um, as opposed to the um, uh, genital uh, form, which is type 2, which is also fairly uh, prevalent. Um, the concept here is that once uh, herpes is in your system, you never lose it. Now, it goes into a, a dormant state or apparently dormant state. So it, it, lives your it lives in your body and it may not come out as a rash, but it does smolder and it activates from time to time, and your body expends an enormous amount of energy and an enormous amount of resources in beating it back down so that it remains in a relatively dormant state. Now, the issue here is that as the body is fighting this off periodically, it markedly increases the overall inflammatory profile in the body as a whole. This uh, inflammatory profile um, tears down your systems, your body systems and your brain systems uh, will rapidly age as a result of this uh, ongoing infection. So one concept is to, um, is to go on a prophylactic uh, daily dose of uh, an anti-herpetic uh, medication like uh, Valtrex or Recyclovir um, is something that um, many people are doing with this uh, thought in mind. Now there's another related virus called CMV virus, that's CMV, cytomegalovirus. So cytomegalovirus um, is, uh, is present in uh, perhaps about half uh, the aging population. And this is something that I check for uh, specifically. It's thought to be one of the most important factors in, uh, in aging. Uh, CMV gets into the system and it specifically runs down the immune system so that you become more prone to other kinds of infections. Uh, it appears to be a bad actor in concert with HIV, by the way, and uh, it has some sort of a 
combined effect uh, if an HIV virus is also floating around in the system. But uh, CMV basically wears down your your immune system so that you become more prone to uh, influenza and pneumonias and other infections, which obviously tears down your body as a whole as you become older. So I, I check for CMV, and if they have that in the system, I'll also put them on a prophylactic uh, antiviral antibiotic uh, for that as well. There are other um, bugs that get in your system that can cause long-term consequences. Of course, the Lyme uh, disease um, uh, bacteria, uh, mycoplasma, helicobacter, is a variety of other ones that get in your system and are probably um, additionally responsive, uh, responsible for uh, rapid aging. What about HPV? Uh, well, HPV um, also produces a chronic inflammatory process. Um, it, uh, it, it's known to be a, a factor in, um, in, in local uh, tumors. Um, so, um, you know, that's something that needs to be paid attention to. I, I don't know to what extent that plays a role in an overall inflammatory process for the body as a whole, but I suspect um, that on some level it does. Um, I think the more, more research needs to be done uh, talking about HIV, HPV for the body as a whole. We, we clearly know that it's problematic for local mucosal tissues in, in causing local tumors. Does dementia also originate from the gut? Well, the uh, the idea is that um, the abnormal uh, bacteria that produce an inflammatory reaction in the gut, in the nose, in the mouth, um, that adds to an inflammatory process which is reflected in a rapidly progressive, a more rapidly progressive dementing process. There's clearly an inflammatory component to Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia, and um, it appears that to the extent that we can try to combat this inflammatory process, it would probably slow down um, this uh, brain aging process and these degenerative conditions. Time for a short break. We'll return more on anti-aging of the brain with Dr. Jordan. It takes a village to keep independent radio alive and well in San Francisco. That's why KXSF 102.5 FM is looking for underwriters to support our station. If you are an individual who loves listening to local artists and bands, or you run a business that cares about cultural diversity in our city, your tax-deductible donation to San Francisco Community Radio is a great investment. To find out more about how to become an underwriter, go to www.kxsf.fm, click on Become an Underwriter, and help keep KXSF on the air through tweet. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Dr. Jordan and I were talking about anti-aging of the brain before the break. And we talked about sleep a little bit earlier. Can you talk more about the role of sleep and what we need to take into consideration? For sure. 
So sleep is, is one of the probably most important factors that we have to keep in mind in making sure that we have a normal aging of the body as a whole and the brain. Um, we have to pay attention to obstructed breathing patterns uh, during the nighttime. So for those individuals who snore heavily um, and may even have obvious um, difficulty with, um, with breathing, um, they really should be formally tested um, in um, some sort of uh, sleep apnea screening um, examination because uh, with sleep apnea, so with sleep apnea, there are pauses in the breathing. And what the pausing of breathing does is the oxygen levels can fall and also, of course, carbon dioxide levels can elevate. But in particular, the dropping um, oxygen levels uh, produces a, a lack of um, a proper oxygen delivery to the brain and that produces uh, stress uh, on brain cells and can accelerate uh, the aging process. So in those individuals who, who have heavy snoring or uh, apparently have breathing pauses at night, they, they should be evaluated and they should be treated uh, to be sure that um, uh, they have uh, normal breathing. Now, sometimes just merely getting um, a full bed wedge um, getting the head up a little bit uh, will minimize uh, snoring and breathing obstruction, and people can often get into different positions on their side, for example, uh, that will open up their pass air airway passages better and will stop the snoring and obstructed breathing. Um, but um, if a simple change in the sleeping position and getting a bed wedge um, doesn't um, doesn't change this, uh, there should be a formal evaluation because that's something that uh, shouldn't be missed. What's a bed wedge? Is that something that helps you lie inclined yeah, so in there, the there, position? There's a, there, there's a foam wedge, which I, I really like the, a foam wedge um, that covers the whole bed. Um, it, you, you can get this online. Um, it goes from the foot of the bed all the way to the head of the bed, so there's a gentle slope that goes underneath the mattress between the mattress and the box spring. And the idea here is that when you're walking around all day, um, all the fluids collect in your feet. And, uh, and you, of course, you know that because at the end of the day, your shoes get tighter. Um, but then when you, when you lie down flat um, at, in bed at night, all that fluid gets redistributed to the rest of the body. And many of it, much of the fluid, gets redistributed up to the throat and tongue and face, which is why very often when you wake up in the morning, your face looks puffy. Well, your airway also gets puffed up. And uh, when there's swelling in the airway, that produces the uh, snoring sound and can obstruct the breathing. So that's where the sleep apnea occurs at night. Now, by simply elevating the head of the bed a little bit, um, less of that fluid will be redistributed up to the throat and tongue and face. So uh, cosmetically, that's good because you don't wake up with all that swelling. Um, but um, from a physiological standpoint, it's even better because you don't get as much of that obstructed breathing. So a nice bed wedge is a good idea. And then just uh, trying to sleep on your side is a good idea. And for those who habitually fall back on their back, there's one simple 
uh, trick that um, we always talk about, which is uh, sewing a tennis ball into um, the pajama tops uh, in the middle of the back. Uh, so that will remind you not to lie on your back and, and encourage you to stay on your side. Um, and, and that can be a, a nice, simple trick that, uh, that can be done along with the bed wedge uh, to uh, minimize snoring and uh, maximize breathing. Interesting. You mentioned that we're now in a new chapter in history where the causes of brain aging can be identified and treated. Can you talk about this? Sure. So um, we've been talking about up until now all the things that you can do to prevent the deterioration in the body and in the brain. So things that we can do to protect, to detoxify, but What's also important to know about is all the things that we can do to regenerate the brain. And this is where all the breakthrough research is being done now. We do know that an important reason for aging is that these regenerative components in the brain, these stem cells that live in the brain, are lost um, uh, as we age. So really starting from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, we start to lose these stem cells that um, are present in the brain. And the stem cells um, provide two very important ways of protecting the brain and maintaining youthfulness. One thing that they do is that they can replace damaged and worn-out cells. So there, there is a capability of producing new cells um, and that's, that's one good thing. The other thing that stem cells do, and this is maybe even more important as we grow older, is that the stem cells provide little bits of information, little signals that are packaged in very, very tiny little packets called exosomes. That's E-X-O-S-O-M-E-S, exosomes. So the exosomes are released from these stem cells and they tell all the other cells in the brain to keep functioning, to remain youthful, to make new connections, to process information in a way that allows people to um, uh, interact with their environment in a productive way. But as you age, these cells are lost. So these signals that keep cells young are lost and, and things start to fall apart. You're not able to provide new synapses, new connections. You're not able to uh, interact with the environment as the environment changes around you. And um, you also even lose old skills that, you, that you've had. So um, we didn't know up until recently that the stem cells can be replaced. Um, and they can be rejuvenated. And they can be rejuvenated by simply taking exosomes from a younger individual. This has been, um, this has been evaluated in, uh, in mice and other um, species, but it's now starting to be applied to humans in, uh, in research settings. And one thing that's particularly outstanding is it, it turns out that there's one particular important group of stem cells in a part of the brain called the hypothalamus, which is in the center of the brain. And this one particular group of stem cells actually turns out to be the biological clock that determines how old you are. So I like to call this the Grim Reaper clock. It's actually programmed to uh, control your entire 
body to be a certain age and how fast one should age. This has been uh, discovered by the Albert Einstein Medical School group, uh, Dr. Kai there, and this was published in the Nature Journal um, uh, a couple of years ago. And he he did uh, some work which is really stunning. So what he found is if you take um, a mouse and this biological clock in the hypothalamus, if you selectively destroy uh, this group of stem cells, a mouse rapidly ages and dies. On the other hand, if you take an old mouse and you inject this group of stem cells in the hypothalamus with exosomes from a young mouse, the old mouse becomes young. So not only is there a biological clock that establishes how old you are and how fast you age, but the biological clock, this Grim Reaper clock, can be reprogrammed. So this is, this is, if you will, an exciting bit of research that gives us a glimpse that there may actually be something akin to the fountain of youth, that if this biological clock can be reset, then you can take an older individual, expose that individual's exosome, uh, expose that individual's stem cells in the hypothalamus to exosomes, and you can make an older individual young again, potentially. Now, how can you do this non-invasively? Well, that's where the trick is. So we don't want to inject it directly because that would, that would involve neurosurgery. Such as such was done with the mice in the Albert Einstein experimental groups, but it turns out using fairly non-invasive technology, uh, something called focused ultrasound. Uh, so ultrasound is basically sound waves that can be applied to the scalp, and the sound waves can be focused in such a way to encourage exosomes that are given intravenously to congregate in this particular part of the brain, the hypothalamus, so that this Grim Reaper clock can be reprogrammed. So imagine an older individual um, can get an intravenous drip of exosomes from a young individual. Those exosomes can be coaxed to go to this hypothalamic stem cell group to reprogram the biological clock. This is an area of very exciting research that is going to be done over the next couple of years. Now, it's already been done is the memory parts of the brain, the hippocampus, in subjects with Alzheimer's disease, and those parts of the brain that relate to movement in Parkinson's disease. So these have been already treated with exosomes uh, in experimental situations using this focused ultrasound so that you can deliver um, the exosomes just intravenously and, and coax them into going to this particular part of the brain that's relevant to memory in Alzheimer's disease and to movement in Parkinson's disease. So this, this kind of technology in an experimental situation has already been applied so that we don't need to resort to invasive neurosurgical techniques where the exosomes would have to be injected directly into those parts of the brain. That is pretty exciting. So to wrap up really quickly, what are the top three strategies people can easily do for anti-aging of their brain today? What would be your top three recommendations or strategies? The first um, strategy would be um, 
all those things that you can do on your own to maintain the microbiome, to uh, maintain the mitochondria, and to uh, work with these toxic protein deposits that accumulate with aging. So in terms of what you can do for the microbiome, we talked about a low-carbohydrate diet, high in fiber, and also uh, taking uh, probiotics and avoiding antibiotics that would kill off the good bacteria. In terms of um, uh, taking care of our mitochondria, the energy components uh, of our body, uh, there are various um, uh, uh, nutrients that we can take, some um, nutritional supplements that we can take, and we talked about uh, some of them that, that uh, are uh, worth taking, such as the um, nicotinamide riboside, the coenzyme Q10, and the PQQ. Um, in terms of the proteinopathy, so these toxic proteins that evolve uh, and accumulate in our system, uh, we talked about some supplements that can help turn on the disposal process and the inflammatory process that occurs um, with that, uh, we can try to minimize by taking uh, something like a curcumin uh, extract that might uh, reduce the inflammatory components. So exercise, good sleep, uh, keeping track of uh, your oral hygiene, uh, those are all uh, important things that people can do on their own. And I think if they, they put this together in a daily program, I think it can make sure that they have uh, a relatively healthy uh, aging process over the coming years. That sounds fantastic. Thank you for joining me on Spark today.